Welcome to The Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. Wow, who's happy to be here? This is life. This is life. Aaron, you're amazing. Where's your surgeon husband? Doing surgery on the kids, okay. Everyone happy? You glad you're here? Well, well I, why don't we all stand and let's just pray before we get into the word and... Um, I know, yeah, he's one of those guys, makes you stand. It's been such a thrill and an honor for Jemima and I. Jemima is at the North Campus this morning, and uh, she will be here tonight. I am merely John the Baptist preparing the way for one coming greater than I is following, whose sandals I definitely do not touch. (laughs) Father, we thank you for your word. Let it bring life. Because your words are spirit and they are life. I thank you from the newest visitor, from the first time curious onlooker, online in the room, Lord, to the, to the most seasoned veteran who's been there, done that. Lord, even the ones that understand the Hebrew and the Greek, I pray they'd understand your voice this morning. And we would receive something afresh that would change us for the better. Give us something to repent about. Give us something to shift and change so that we would grow and go from glory to glory. I thank you, Lord, we've not arrived But we're on a journey, and I thank you that every person would be strengthened, edified, blessed, and impacted. You would be glorified, the devil would be horrified, and the church would be edified. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Smile at the people on either side of you so they know it's okay. We've had a great time. I do want to honor your pastors. Uh, You might take for granted what we know from afar, and that is you have global leaders. You have incredible pastors, leaders, apostolic in nature. If you don't know what that means, it just means they are impacting way beyond what you're just a part of. We at Kingdom City have been inspired by what's happening in life. And for 30 years, this thing is growing and going and it's still only the beginning because there's generations coming after this one and I can feel the momentum in the house. So can you join me in honoring and thanking Pastor Paul and Marie for their leadership and their love and their life. We had the privilege of having Pastor Paul in Malaysia. He loves Malaysia. He's a closet Malaysian. He, and, uh, you know, and we, we will, once the days return where we can go to these other countries again, we will go there again. But for now, New Zealand is as international as us Australians get. And if you're wondering, yes, I am Australian, but I support the All Blacks. I was, it's complicated. I was born in Singapore, grew up in Malaysia, Indian origin, Australian citizen for 30 years. Um, and I had identity issues. I was too Asian to be Aussie, but too Aussie to be Asian. Some people nodding, going, yeah, that's us. Exactly. And then just as if life could not get more complicated, I got married. Marriage wasn't the complication. Who I married was the complication. She's half Aussie, half Kiwi, which is a problem. Grew up in Asia, raised in the Philippines, sounds like an American, with a slither of Middle Eastern. It's a story for another day, but she's coming tonight. Um... So, look, that, that's our world. We had two boys. Don't ask me what country they're from, what ethnicity they are. They are just wonderful. And uh, they're real. Uh, I also... Oh, look at them. They're so cute. Mainly, their looks from their mum, their intelligence from their father. Um, 
I wrote a book called Ready, Fire, Aim. Do you know, I find there's a, a lot of people, I'm an introvert by nature, I'm not a risk taker by nature. I'm an eldest Asian child, which makes me inherently conservative. And I was shy, I hated public speaking. So don't ask me why I'm doing what I'm doing, except it's God. And, you know, ready, fire, aim is the wrong order. It's irresponsible advice if you're holding a firearm, but it's the way it works when you're following God. He doesn't give you time to do due diligence. He just says obey, and you're supposed to obey. There are some people, you know, it's like we, we, we have more trust in our own aim than when God says go. And so we're aiming, 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 aiming. The bunny has left the country, and we're still nervous about pulling a trigger because we have more trust in our own aim than God's ability to guide the moving bullet. Some of us are still on the edge of things God has promised us for years. And I want to encourage you, it doesn't matter your personality, your Enneagram type or where you're from. All that matters is that God's called you to a sense of adventure. And that is what life is about. That is what following God is about. Uh, It tells a little bit of the story of how 16 years ago, I sold my house, bought a one-way ticket to an Islamic country without a visa to plant a church. All the signs are stupid apart from God was in it. And um, now in 12 different countries and all the different locations, grateful to God for what he's done, but it really will inspire you. So I want to encourage you, if you want to get a hold of that, the thing, it's $15 in the foyer. There's about 30 copies left. Uh, But please, um, whatever you do, don't hold me responsible for anything that you do as a result of that book. That is simply my story. There's legal disclaimers all over it. I used to be a lawyer. It's true. I was a lawyer by profession. And uh, my family, all professionals. I was telling Luke in the, in the foyer earlier, Pastor Luke, sorry. Boss Luke. Uh, the book of Luke. We're gospels. We're connected. So we're in the same part of the Bible. Luke, I was telling Luke earlier that basically my cousins, I've got 40 first cousins, they're all university graduates. They're all doctors, lawyers, accountants, professors, you name it, surgeons, we've got the lot. Never paid a medical bill in my life because everything is sorted. But when I told my parents I'm going to move into ministry, being a lawyer, that wasn't a standout. That's just what our family did. And they're like, why? Do you want to be poor? And I said, uh, and it was a journey. And so really the adventure of following God is truly an adventure. So the story's in the book, but there's so much more for you. And, and today I want to talk a bit about the journey of life in this sense. I have found over time, over a period of time, that the pebble in your shoe will always do more damage to your walk in the long run than the boulders in your path. Now, there's no contest as to which is a bigger obstacle. The issue isn't the size of the rock, it's where it's located. And stuff that's within you will eventually hurt you more. And we, we, we pray, God, remove the boulders, clear, help me clear the hurdles, move this mountain. But, but the molehill within you can do more damage than the mountain in front of you. And there's a switch in focus around what's happening in front of you or around you to what's happening inside of you. And the crucial nature of how this thing works to some degree was reflected in a story Jesus told. It's called the parable of the seed and the sower. If you're new to church, I'm gonna paraphrase it for you, but if you've been around, you would have definitely heard it. Jesus told a lot of stories, largely agricultural in nature because they were farmers and people understood. He gave them analogies that they would connect with. And he tells the story of a farmer who scattered seed and it landed on four different types of soil. And each soil represent the condition of your heart. And the first soil was pavement, where it didn't matter who you are, 
or who was preaching or what was being said, if your heart is pavement, nothing will grow. And the lack of growth is not how good the seed is, it's how hard the heart is. And yet I don't believe there's anybody today in this church or online right now that would be in that space because you wouldn't be watching, you wouldn't be here. Yet there was another ground which was progressively better. It gets better as we go. The second soil was called stony ground, which is a little better, but not much better. And these people hear the word with joy, but then as soon as there's any sign of heart, they're out, they're gone. And, uh, and really it's marginal improvement, but really there was no root system. The third soil was incredibly, um, it got my attention because it's sort of, it's good soil. There's nothing wrong with the soil itself because the Bible says that the seed takes root and the plant begins to grow, but it's called thorny ground because thorns grow and start to choke the plant and so it does not bear fruit. And the fourth soil, which is the soil we all want to be, is good soil, 30, 60 and 100 fold. And that is the nature of what God wants for every person who hears His Word. That His Word does not land on pavement. It does not land on stony ground. It's not choked by the thorns, but it literally bears fruit and changes your life. And just because he didn't want us to mess up the interpretation, he gave us the explanation. And I just want to read two verses around Matthew 13 that will help take us where we need to go. It said, now he who receives seed among the thorns, thorns, everybody say thorns, thorns, is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Isn't it stunning that you could hear the word and still be unfruitful? But he who receives seed on the good ground, as he who hears the word, understands it, bears fruit, 160, 30. You know, I'd put to you that the difference between the third and the fourth soil is something worth looking at because the truth is the third soil is actually good soil because the, the, the plant grows. The issue with the third soil is not what's growing, it's what else is growing. Because there's thorns growing in the third soil that weren't growing in the good soil. So what's the difference between soil where thorns are growing and soil where thorns aren't growing? Gardening. Who loves gardening? Who hates gardening? Way more people like me in this service. 11 a.m. hate gardening. And so, you know, at the end of the day, the nature of the soil was soft. Have you realized that thorns probably and weeds probably go faster in good soil? You know, a sensitivity to God means you're probably easier offended too. A soft heart probably means there's more things that can actually grow in it. And gardening is important. That's why Proverbs says, guard your heart. And guard, the word guard does not mean put a soldier in front. The, the Hebrew word for guard is notza, which means to tend or to garden. There's a responsibility you and I have to garden our heart and pull the thorns out of our life so that what is sown can actually bear 30, 60, and 100 fold. To not be a gardener over the condition of our own heart is to mean that anything can get in and we can actually be unfruitful even if we come to church every week because we're not guarding or tending or nurturing what's there. So there's affection for God, there's receptivity to Him, but there's all sorts of other things growing as well. It's important we tend our heart. Everyone repeat after me with conviction, gardening is good. That's it. Look at the person you prefer more right now and say, gardening is good. Probably caused some problems there, but anyway. Gardening is good. <clears throat> 
And then straight on the back of that parable, where Jesus just describes the key to fruitfulness, he tells another parable, another agricultural parable, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tears. I'm saying that like a Kiwi there. Tears, T-A-R-E-S. Everyone say tears. Tears. Among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? A.K.A. Do you want us to do some gardening? But he said, No. Lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. The servant said, so boss, do we do some gardening? Get rid of the stuff the enemy has sown? And... The owner says, no. Look at your neighbor and say, gardening is bad. (laughs) If you're confused, it simply means you've been listening. Holy Spirit, just make it make sense today. Thank you that it's going to bear 30, 60, and 100 fold in our life in Jesus' name. Amen. Apparently, there's a big difference between the thorns in our life and the tears in our life because we're supposed to treat them very differently. We're supposed to leave the tear alone, but we better be ruthless with the thorn because that's what's killing our fruitfulness. And if you're like, well, what is the difference between the thorns in my life and the tears in my life? This is a little bit of insight. The thorns are like the pebble in your shoe. The tears are like the boulders in your path. The tears are the people around you. The thorns are the issues within you. It's the thorns that'll choke your fruitfulness, not the tears. The tears are what people do to you. The thorns are the effect of what they did inside of you. And it's the thorn that kills your fruitfulness, not the tear. The tears grow around you. The thorns grow within you. If you like, the tear is the guy who pulled the trigger. The thorn is the actual bullet lodged in your heart. And you can keep chasing the tear, but you got to deal with the thorn. The tears, if you like, according to the second parable, are not your responsibility, but the thorns definitely are. The tears are the seen things in your life, often, and the thorns are often the unseen things in your heart. And because the tears are far more noticeable than the thorns, we often have our focus switched, and we are always obsessed about the tear When the tear is not the real problem, the thorn is the problem. The tear cannot kill you, but the thorn absolutely will. 
And if this still sounds a little ethereal, I'm about to get a little practical, so buckle up and no pointing. The tear is that family member you're thinking of right now who hurts you with their outburst. The thorn is the unforgiveness growing every time you go to a family gathering. That unforgiveness will kill your fruitfulness, not the outburst. The tear is that work colleague you're thinking of right now who irritates you incessantly. The thorn is the resentment every time you pull up to work. The tear is the guy who burgled your house when you were out. The thorn is now the fear every time you leave your house. That fear will rob you far much longer than the one-off burglary. The tear is the decision you need to make which is just sort of hanging. Do I go this way or that way? And it seems like a big thing. It's, but the thorn is the anxiety that's disturbing your sleep over that issue. That anxiety in the long run will hurt you far more than the decision you make. The tear is that friend who badmouthed you behind your back. The thorn is the lack of trust in your friendships now. I just don't trust people anymore. That lack of trust will kill you quicker. The tear is the person who flattered you and you felt so amazing. The thorn is the pride growing in your heart because you think it's you and not God. The tear is that church member who abusively dealt with you from, from the last church. <laughs> but the thorn is the chin, cynical view of church going people. Oh, I don't know. The tear is the sick person you prayed for who didn't get better. And the thorn is now the reluctance to step out and believe God for healing. That unbelief and reluctance will hamstring your future far more than that one tear. The tear is that spouse who doesn't understand the load you carry. And the thorn is the inner determination to say, I'm not going to share anymore. I'm just going to shut down. And that shutdown will kill your marriage far more than the spouse who doesn't understand your issue. But not at life because we just had a marriage retreat. (laughs) And we just dealt with all the thorns. The tear is that church leader who spoke vision and nothing came to pass. And the thorn is... I'm just going to fold my arms whenever they talk about this stuff and just, yeah, sure. I love God too much to go to hell, but I don't love him enough to bring heaven. I'm just going to sit here and just let this thorn kill me. Tear is the parent who you thought was very unreasonable with you and your upbringing. And the thorn is the lack of honor and the resentment towards your own kind. Tear is the pandemic that swept through every nation And the thorn is the fear that swept through every heart. Once the pandemic is gone, the fear is what will remain. And here's the problem. The problem in confusing the two, we've got more analogies, but I'm pretty sure we've covered everybody by now. I've got in-law analogies. Anyone want to hear stuff about in-law? Okay, never See, the problem with confusing the two is this. Often, rather than taking care of the thorns, we get angry at the tear. And we set up our processes, our responses. We even have prayers for the tear. When people come for prayer, I, go, I need prayer. My boss is killing me. You got to do my mother-in-law. Lord, take her home. You know, it's, we, we, we've, got, we've got, 
Our prayers are tear-centric. Remove this debt, Lord. Remove this boulder, God. This boulder in my path is killing me, God. The leadership, blah, 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 blah. And we have tear prayer. But it's really the thorn that's killing us. And the enemy's happy if you stay obsessed with the tears in your life. But the master said, leave the tear alone. That's not the problem. In fact, I've tied your growth to some of the crazy tears in your life. And, and, and yet God is more concerned about the thorns in our heart than the tears in our life because what's happening inside of you is far more critical than what's happening around you. And you might have everything going good or bad on the outside, but what's going on on the inside is really the issue. And so I want to release all the tears in this room and say, leave the tear alone. And before you think, man, this is... Poor me, look at the tears of my life. And you've got to, people now have a mental list right now. They've been taking notes, tear, mum, dad, boss, spouse, pastor, blah, blah, blah. Before you make a list of all the tears in your life, I just need to remind you of one simple thing. You are a tear on someone else's list. I know we'd like to think we're all the weed. The 9am is the tear. The other campuses are the tear. The other people are the tear. You are a tear on someone else's list. So you should, you can, you're welcome because I just told everyone else to take you off their list. Leave the tear alone. You know, the, uh, when I talk about wheat and tear, I know the parable talks about eternity and we're talking about at the end of time, those who make it to heaven and those who don't. I get all of that. But for the sake of understanding the, the idea that tears are being external people, you know, there are times that you and I are wheat and other times the same wheat is tear. You can be tear one week, wheat another. We could, be, we could be tear in, in, in the foyer, but wheat in worship. You'd be wheat one minute and tear the next. When you interview someone for a job, it's always the wheat that turns up. But after, just the day after the probation has lapsed, the tear turn up. When you dated them, they were wheat. Only weeds come to dates. And then uh, after the third year, fourth year, 15th year, oh, I've got a terrible marriage. <laughs> First come to church, oh, this team is so amazing. Oh, I like the last place, oh, the pastor's, Pastor Wheat De Jong. <laughs> Everything's wheat. After two, three years, you know what? I don't like. See, every, we can be wheat one minute, tear the next. And God says, you know, leave the tear alone. I, ask my wife. She'll tell you tonight, I'm sure. I'm the biggest tear in her life. And the Lord said, leave him and the remote control alone. Leave <laughs> the tear alone. Leave the tear alone. Why, why would God... See, you, you might have a terrible life. You're thinking of all the tears in your life and you go, I've got a terrible spouse, terrible boss, terrible tear, tear everywhere. But why would God say leave the tears alone? Because there's no tear in your life that can stop your destiny. There's no person in your world that can stop your God-given future. That's why God is totally comfortable with saying, 
they are not the problem. The only thing that'll stop your fruitfulness 30, 60 and 100 fold are the thorns that are growing in your heart. There's story after story. Think of David in the Bible. He literally had a tear-filled past, a tear-filled. His father didn't invite him to the coronation. He works for a boss who literally threw spears at him. I don't mean like emotional spears 2021. I mean real spears. He threw spears at David when he was ministering. You got a boss like that, a dad like that. His wife doesn't even like his dancing style. Terrible boss, terrible wife, a tear for that. He had 400 men that he saved and they wanted to kill him because he lost one battle. And terrible people and yet he remained pure, a man after God's own heart. He made his mistakes, he had his issues, but he's the one who said, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Create in me a new clean spirit. Search me, oh God, Psalm 139. And know my heart, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Why? He was praying prayers about his heart. He was saying, God, be the gardener and check out the thorns in my life. Rip them out, God, because it doesn't matter who's against you. No tear can stop your destiny. Think of Joseph. Joseph grew up, he had siblings that sold him into slavery. There's a tear, 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 tear. Family of tears. Potiphar, tear. Potiphar's wife, tear. She literally tore his clothes. She was a real tear. Then you go into prison. He's forgotten there. He, he, it's just a terrible journey, but he goes from prisoner to prime minister in a moment because no tear in your life can stop your destiny. And he's the one that said, what you meant for evil, God turned for good. Meaning you people were just tears on my journey. How much emotional energy and anger have we spent? Even prayer centered around tears. I still believe in God moving mountains, calming seas. We still pray for miracles. I'm not saying we don't care about circumstances. But let's just make sure that a thorn-free heart is better than a boulder-free path. You know, um, here's, the, here's the real problem. The thorn grows because the enemy has got you focused on the tear. What you ignore begins to grow. Judas... Be careful, there's a thorn growing in your heart called greed. And if we don't do some gardening, this thing is going to kill you. James, John, be careful, there's some thorns growing in your heart called ego and title and position and looking good in front of people. You've got to get that stuff out. And Jesus does some gardening on the way. You know, the offense, the bitterness, the hurt, the hatred, the envy, the greed. Nobody can tell on the outside. Eventually it does show, but nobody can tell initially because they're just simply thorns growing on the inside. And what we do is we think, Trading tears will negate growing thorns. So we trade out hair for a new one, a new job, a new church, a new spouse, a new house. I don't like my neighbors. I'm going to find a new place. Just, you're just trading tears all the while while not really dealing with what's really growing on the inside. You know, for seven years, Jemima and I, in fact, till the pandemic, to be honest, we lived for the first part of the of our journey between two countries in Malaysia and Perth. Five hours by flight, same time zone. So not too bad, but at the end of the day, it was a pretty hectic life as our journey has unfolded. And every three months, we would move from Perth 
to the other country and I'll sort of travel from whichever country we were in and it's just been an exciting journey but it's been exhausting at times and I remember one particular three-month schedule where we just left Perth took the boys and we moved to KL and we just landed a day into the journey I get a call from my PA in Perth she's in tears she's like oh Pastor Bob, I'm so sorry I said like, what is, what's happened oh no you know how you left all your keys with me I'm like yes I do uh, oh, I'm just so sorry I'm so sorry I'm like what happened so she had a second-hand car that was a real bomb. It's one of those kind of cars where you hope it gets stolen because then you get insurance money. So she, she goes, I left my keys in that car and I left it in the public car park. I said, you did that? Why? She goes, I don't know, but I left it there and someone broke into my car and stole your keys. And I'm thinking, oh man, we've just come to Malaysia, three months away from home. They've stolen our keys, which has got the house, the car, the church. I've got to think all the locks have to be changed. And I said, oh, man, oh, Katie, look, we got to, oh. She goes, that's not the worst part. I go, that's not the worst part? What's the worst part? She goes, oh, I took some of your mail, which had your address on it, and I put it on the car seat under your keys. And so when they stole your keys, they saw your address, and they went to your house, and they stole your car. I could feel the thorns growing as the conversation was going. And I said, so they've stolen my car. Did they break into that? You know, the, the mess that was created from that was, was real. And so over the next couple of days, I remember Jemima and I talking, do I need to go back to Perth? Can the team handle it? Can they sort it out? And over the next week, we handled everything. The cops, the staff. She still got a job. In a different era of ministry. Um, you know, the insurance, getting the locks changed, blah, blah, deal with everything. And we thought, okay, all right, never mind. And we, we, we dealt with everything, or so we thought. Because it was a couple of months into the stint in KL, and I'm finding myself real indecisive. I can't make decisions, and I'm feeling awkward and just tentative and just unlike how I normally am. And and I'm going, what on earth is going on? Why, why am I not myself? And then both, we, we talked and, and we realized, like, my gosh, there's some fear that has crept in. Anxiety has crept in. See, we dealt with all the tears, the insurance, the staff, the police, the, the house, the locks. We deal with all those tears, but we didn't deal with the thorn that was growing, which was, God, maybe, maybe we're making a mistake. Maybe this isn't you. Maybe this is just irresponsible. What's going to happen? to And what happens is that the, the thorns unchecked actually start to kill you, not all those incidents called the tear. And we sat down and we knelt and we said, okay, God, we, we need you to take this out. And we just literally allowed the Lord to remove that anxiety, that fear. You know what? I am called by the Lord. This is going to work together for good. God is on our side. We still will walk by faith. We will not allow anxiety to cripple our future. We will not have trust issues, etc., etc., etc. And all of a sudden, the freedom and the liberty comes back. The faith comes back. The focus comes back. And we can start to do things again. Why? Because the real issue was dealing with the thorns, not just addressing the tears. Here's the challenge. When we really think about the thorns in our heart, we often come back with, oh man, I don't want to go there. It's too hard. Here's what I got to be honest with you. I hate gardening. I haven't told you this, but I hate it. So maybe I did tell you that. It just comes out of me as much as the gospel. Just I hate gardening and I love Jesus. You know, it's just, so here's the problem. 
Um, I used to have a garden and it was painful because uh, now I have fake lawn. God's greatest invention since the internet, fake lawn. So we have fake lawn, fake plants, fake stones. You didn't think it was real? It's real. Fake stones exist. We have even fake fruit. You know, you put the fruit in the bowl, it's fake. The only thing real in our house is Jemima, me, and the boys. Everything else is fake, 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 fake. Because it's easier, it's cheaper, it's cleaner, less work, and it's easier to live a fake life. Because I don't have to get into the dirt and the soil of what really goes on when things have to be real. And... And, and I want to encourage you, don't live a fake life because of the pain of dealing with the thorns. Let the Lord do what He does. See, I've got a staff member. His name's Chad. He loves gardening. He loves gardening. He's the antithesis of me. Gardeners should be grateful for me because we keep them employed. There would be no industry if everyone was like Chad and did their own gardening. And Chad is the sort of guy, he doesn't have fake. He thinks it's an abomination what we've done to our house. He has everything real. His lawn, but it's, and it's always kept perfect. It's pristine. He would, I think he cuts his grass with nail clippers because he's got it so level. He's the sort of guy when hail drops, he would catch it before it hits the plant, throw it over to the neighbor's fence. And he's just caring for his garden. But here's what I found interesting. He never seems to do any gardening. See, in the old days when I had real garden, I never did gardening. So once a year, once every two years, I would have to go to a marriage retreat. I would, it's a good thing you did. I'm just saying, I would have to turn my whole, I'd go to Bunnings, my gloves, chainsaw, the weeds were as tall as my kids. I'd be like, okay, here we go. Once every, this is gonna be painful for two days. It was a painful two days, but Chad never seems to do any gardening. You know why? Because he does a little bit every day. Don't be the sort of person that only audits your heart for thorns every two years. Don't do gardening once every year. Let me put it to you another way. A little gardening daily beats annual exorcism annually. (laughs) Now, if you need a major exorcism, go for it. Buy a bucket, Get Pastor Paul or Pastor Luke, actually. I think, I don't know who does the exorcisms around here. In fact, I think there's an opening right now in life if you want to apply to be the exorcism pastor. Here's the thing. If we would just every day go to bed with a clean heart, say, Father, take out the little things. Lord, take out the soul tie that caught in so I don't have to repent about an affair in two years. Take out, Lord, the anger that just set in over that conversation so I don't have to repent about a murder in three years. Lord, take out the, 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 the mistrust that just lodged with that little comment in so I don't have to have a backbiting, gossipy conversation that I have to repent about in two years. You know, a little bit of gardening daily, like David, created me a clean heart. Wake up every... You know, here's a little key. Go to bed every night with a clean heart. What does that mean? Just before you go to bed, Father, just create in me a clean heart. Anything that I'm not even conscious of, take out. Remove from me so that I don't have this thing bothering me, bugging me. Do you know, um, I'm going to read a story to you. The worship team come join me. Um, There's a guy by the name of Graham Cook who's a prophet who wrote a book and I read this excerpt and I thought it was so at the time so relevant, appropriate for my life, but I think you'll get something out of this. He started a prophetic school where 
he would, in the nature of it, probably attracted some attention from conservatives. And he had three ministers in the city who hated him and basically thought what he was doing was of the devil. So they, these are the kind of registrations for a conference you don't want. They would register for every conference he had and literally there, sit there at the front row, take notes, and then send it out to everybody talking about how bad this guy is and how he's of the devil. It's the sort of people you don't want. And Graham Cook writes in his book about how the criticism affected him and how really he wanted to deal with it. So I'm going to read this excerpt about how God dealt with it. It says, this went on for two years. This is in his book, in his words. They, meaning these three ministers, booked into every school. I cried out to the Lord, please kill them. Well, that prayer didn't work, so I modified it to maiming. Lord, cut off their writing hand, do something. Several weeks later, he answered my prayer, though not in the manner I had envisioned. One night I had a dream, I'm used to dreaming. Most of my revelatory dreams begin in the same way, so I'm able to retain what I see here and experience in the dream. God is on his throne. I'm sat on one arm of it with my legs over his lap and our heads are together talking. In this dream, the father had something to show me. And when I agreed, an angel brought out a huge block of the most beautiful marble I'd ever seen. It was six foot high, four feet wide, three feet deep. It was glorious and breathtaking. Jesus came into view, smiling that lovely, slow, small smile of his. He dug a finger into the marble and made an outline of a figure in the stone, and I watched entranced. The father asked, would you like to see it made? I nodded enthusiastically, and he gave a command. And these pairs of hands came up to the elbow and started chiseling at the command of the father to sculpt the figure out of the marble. If you encourage them, they will work faster and it'll be completed quicker, he said, smiling at me. I began to tentatively bless and encourage them, but it didn't seem to make any difference. My son, you must always be wholehearted in your encouragements, he said, laughing. I began to exhort, bless and encourage, loudly encouraged by the Father. At one point, I was standing on the arm of his throne with my hand on the Lord's head for balance, shouting encouragement at the very top of my voice. And there was pandemonium everywhere, laughter and cheering all around me. Eventually... The work was finished and the noise became peace. I was exhausted, sank down to my original position and I stared in awe at what had been created. Do you know what it is? The father breathed into my ear. When I shook my head, mute in awe and wonder, he turned my face to look in his eyes. It's how I see you, my son. It's the man I'm making you into. I looked again and I began to cry. But it's so beautiful, my Lord, I whispered. He smiled gently, looking into my face. Would you like to thank the sculptors, he asked with a smile. Sure, I said, turning back to the statue. My smile of thanks turned to one of total shock and horror when the three stooges who'd been turning up to my conference suddenly appeared next to the sculpture. I screamed at the top of my voice so loudly that I woke myself up. And suddenly a flood of revelation filled my waking heart and mind. I began to realize the purposes of the Lord over the last two years, that God allows in his wisdom what he could prevent by his power. He allows some tears to surround you, even though he could remove them in a minute. All their opposition had driven me to become an excellent teacher. Their criticism had pushed me into a place of continuously upgrading my material and the quality of my presentation. And the School of Prophecy was gaining an excellent reputation because I'd consistently upgraded it in the face of their antagonism. What had not been upgraded, I realized, was my own character. Their hostility had not produced in me an opposite spirit that craved Christ-likeness. I'd been offended, angry, 
and affronted I had a grieved spirit believing it was justice and I hadn't seen the purpose of the father was also to change me you know I don't know why God has brought some tears in your life I'm not suggesting you live under abuse or oppression in the worst ways and I don't know which tears he's tied you to but he never expected you to live with thorns and the last verse as, I, as we close is John 15, 1. You might know God as Savior, Lord, Healer, Creator, Alpha, Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last. Eternal, all-powerful, but this is a role I never saw him in. Jesus says in John 15, 1, I am the vine, you are the branch, and my Father is the gardener. Who would have thought God is a gardener? That God would put on gloves and and nurture your life and mine and maybe you're here today and whether you're online or in the room and you're, you're, you're sensitive to the fact that man if I went to the thorns in my heart and the things that are growing they might be small but a little bit daily is better than a massive situation annually and maybe we should let Father God come in his space as the gardener we heard Pastor Paul reference today that Mary was walking after the resurrection with Jesus and they presumed him to be the gardener well there's no presumption today he is and he wants to touch your heart so that we don't need fake lawn and fake smiles and fake everything in fact why don't we stand to our feet from the front all the way to the back because God loves every person in this room immensely deeply you know the starting point a bit like me with my gardening I just needed to admit I needed help instead of making it fake to avoid people looking in and from the front of the this auditorium to the top why don't we just allow God the gardener and he's a tender gardener he's, he's, he's not a butcher he's a surgeon he loves you and I and, and whether you want to put your hand on your heart or lift your hands towards heaven just in this space can we just invite the gardener to do what he wants to do in fact if nothing else some of us today need to forgive the tear you know if it helps bless the tear oh my soul forgive them release them and just say father I'm sorry for having all my energy and attention on the tear when it was always the thorn that needed to be dealt with and so father no matter the tears that surround me like David like Joseph Father, nothing is going to stop my destiny in you. And Father, I'm asking you to put your hand as the gardener. Put your hand into the inside part and remove the pebbles, remove the thorns, remove the issues. Father, have your way. I trust you, Lord. I don't want to be a fake. I want this to be real. And God, I thank you. Daily, you can have your way. And maybe in a moment, the Lord is so kind. He's so powerful. He's so intelligent. He knows you don't have to articulate the circumstance. He knows. Just give Him full access. Give Him full access. Say, Lord, come into my heart right now. Change me from the inside out. Have your way. I trust your gardening. I trust you. Listen, there's no more need to live with thorns. Jesus wore a crown of thorns on his head so you wouldn't have to carry them in your heart. He took it upon a cross. He took it upon Calvary. And maybe you're here today and you've never made the first decision, which is to give your heart to God, to give your life to God, to say, God, I don't just want you to be the gardener. I need you as my Savior. I need you as the owner of my heart as well as the gardener of my heart. 
Father, I thank you that this is the time where every heart is open and soft to you. And God, I thank you that every heart is open. In fact, I want us to pray a prayer and I would love the whole church to join me right now. But there are people today that maybe say for the first time, or maybe I need to recommit my life to God and make a conscious decision that Lord, I choose you as the Lord and Savior of my heart. Whether you're in the room or online, can you do me a favor? Maybe put your hand on your heart and let the whole church join us. You can lift your hands, you can put it on your heart. An external sign of an internal commitment that God, you are real and I want you inside of me. And if you've never done this, mean this prayer with your heart because what I'm about to say, let it originate from inside of you. For the Bible says if we would confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, you will be saved. So repeat these words but mean them. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I give you my whole heart today. Come on, church, let's pray together with faith. Dear Lord Jesus, I give you my whole heart today. Come into my life and change me from the inside out. I'm sorry for my sin and doing life my own way. Please forgive me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for changing me. I believe and confess that from now, you are my Savior. You are my Lord. You are my gardener. And you are my God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, why don't you give God some praise this morning. Let's give God worship this morning. Father, have your way in this house. Have your way in our life. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.